Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be here for our final podcast of what has been a very strange 2020. Joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hey, Will. How are we? Good, yeah. Getting into the Christmas spirit now, but it, it's funny, even though there's two days to, to Christmas, we still have a lot of a lot of rugby stuff to, to talk about. I'm delighted to be uh, joined by Rory O'Connor here to, to finish up the, the year with us. Rory, how are things? Good, thanks, lads. And Rory, as I said there, like there's, there's actually you know plenty to go to go through. Considering we're, we're at this time of year, we obviously have the big interpro at the weekend. We had once this huge win at the last weekend, which is probably the the big talking point. But first, we might start off with the news today: the Rainbow Cup, uh, the long mooted uh, arrival of the South African teams. We actually touched on it a good bit last week with Brendan Fanning about what they might bring or what it might look like. We have an idea now of, of what it will look like. I think your tweet kind of summed up. The strangeness of it, like, is in you have six different jurisdictions and you have cross hemispheres. And what what are your thoughts now that it's finally come to fruition, or at least the proposal has been outlined? Like, I think from a it, there's two different conversations. There's the the rugby conversation about what you know is it a good competition? Is it good to have the South Africans in the Pro 14 or Pro 16 as it will become after its Remo Cup? And I think from a Irish rugby point of view. From a purely competitive point of view, I think it'll be good for the players to play against ca- that caliber of opposition. Does it work as a competition? Well, I'm not sure if you were designing professional rugby from scratch, you'd ever put together Italy, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and South Africa in a tournament. But that's where we are. The English are not interested in a in a Celt- or in a kind of a, a Lions League, which I think would be perfect for Ireland. So you kind of the RV are plowing on what they have. And really, the proof will ultimately be in the pudding as to whether fans like this tournament and watch it or go to games. But the problem at the moment is that we're like, you're doing this, you know, you can have this conversation and you can completely ignore what's going on at the moment. And the fact that four games between European teams last week went by the wayside because of COVID. And you're now bringing in a whole other continent, um, which is currently struggling with, you know, we've just heard today about the the, the South African variants. Like South Africa's numbers are off the charts. It's, It's a... it's a country that has much more governmental issues than we do in Europe. It's a country that, you know, as it stands, is going to be welcoming between twenty and 30,000 Irish and British people in the summer, it, according to the kind of, you know, if you live in La La Land, I can't, you know, the Lions tour at the moment looks very unlikely to happen. And now we're going to plow on with this uh, tournament where you've um, countries from five places playing together. And like, I hope it, I hope we're at a point where everyone's vaccinated and it works and there's crowds and we can actually judge it on its merits. But at the moment, 
it just seems very abstract. And um, like everything in life, it's hard to know what's going to happen next week. Like the Premiership fixture list for uh, the for Christmas has been wiped. You know, a lot, a lot of games already gone by the wayside. So how, what it's going to be like in April and stuff is very hard to get, get your head around. So like as an idea, yeah, like I, I think it's worth trying. I'm looking forward to seeing like Sia Khaleesi and Makazola and Pipi and guys like that playing against the Irish players. I think as a format, you know, leading into the Lions tour, like that could be pretty cool. And, you know, there's a lot to like about it. Long term, I'm not so sure it's the way to go, but like give it a rattle. Give it a rattle. What's, what is there to lose? It can't be any worse than the Pro 14 as it is now. But just the scenario that we're in, it's just mad. Like, and it's really hard um, for even for administrators. Like you can't really hammer them for like, you know, the governments can't handle this stuff. So what are people like running a rugby competition able to do? So it's it's a tough one to really get it, get your head around. But it's like, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And if, if they can pull it off, fair play to them. Yes, was Luke wrote outlined a good few kind of talking points with it there, of which there are very many, and I suppose everyone I think would be happy to see some of the big guns from the Springboks playing on a regular basis against some of the Irish provinces. And from the organised point of view, like they probably do have to be looking to a long term vision, even with all the uncertainty. There has been vaccine announcements. Who knows what the landscape of, of you know rugby life in general could be like six months down the line? But as Rod kind of pointed out, it does seem quite ambitious at this point in time. Yeah, it does. Like, look, I think we'd rather be ambitious, though, than, uh, like, at this point, I mean, t- t- the prospect of, uh, you know, what's actually realistic is pretty grim. Uh, like, I think we might as well start off from that place and at least, uh, you know, I suppose just adapt as, as, as we go along. And I think that's probably the, like, we've been complaining about, you know, a lack of competition, you know, a lack of interest in, in the league for, for quite a while. I think this is something that will, will generate interest. Uh, or hopefully will. I think it definitely has the potential to do so. I mean, I can't see how any team wouldn't be interested in playing, any club team wouldn't be interested in playing any of the Irish provinces. There's huge following there. There's great quality. Um, So I think it's good for them. I think it's good for the Irish provinces because we need the competition outside of Champions Cup. Um, So I'd rather they did this than sat on their kind of, uh, I suppose, uh, I suppose sat on their laurels really and and not... um, you know, not not try something. I, I'd rather die trying than 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 say let, like just let this thing kind of peter out. Will yeah. and and that's probably where I sit on this. Uh, it's just been so difficult for everyone to make any kind of plans based on this. But uh, look, I think uh, on that basis, you just have to go with some with, with with whatever you're thinking, whatever makes sense in a normal environment. Because we have to assume, uh, even if you know, all these new variants and things certainly seem to to complicate things, uh, definitely in the short term at least. Um, we have to go ahead with what you know on, on the assumption that the, the vaccine works um, and that it does cover these new variants, uh, or that they can at least adapt it, uh, you know, fairly quickly, um, you know, to the new variants. So look, that's what we're doing, and that's what they've done. It looks like, and I'm very happy with it. I'm delighted to see something new, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and just I suppose to recap what it means for the current season and. The, the current Pro 14 campaign will be finished after 16 rounds, I believe, and then it'll be a, a straight final between the top teams in both conferences. Munster have a very good lead in that conference. They look almost unassailable. Leinster and Ulster fighting it out probably for that other spot, and they play each other, I think, maybe in two weeks' time in the RDS. So that'll be so it's a very important game for, for, that, uh, for that conference. Rory, maybe we might just circle back to Munster's win over Claremont. And, you know, last week we were talking about how, you know, a big win... 
in Clermont for this group, where they are in their development, the criticism they've gotten about their performance in some big games away from home in particular, how important it could be, you know, on this road. Now that it actually has come to pass in the most sensational circumstances, overturning a 28-9 deficit, like, how big is it, do you think, for, for this team? Like, Johan van Graan himself, I saw in quotes, was talking about already that he thinks mentally you could push them onto a new new level, getting this big uh, scalp. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's the, like, we'll know later on how important it will be. Like, if they go and lose to Leinster this week and have an underwhelming Interpro and don't get out of their pool, which is still something that could happen, you know, it'll just look like a flash in the pan. It's really important that they don't let it be a flash in the pan because it's the kind of result that should be a catalyst for them now. You know, they've, they've won all their Pro 14 games. They're decent against Harlequins without being spectacular. And they're putting together some good stuff. They've responded really well to that Leinster defeat in the Pro uh, 14, that got, you know, in the semi-final that got them an absolute hammering in, in the press and online. And then they go and produce that. And that's a signature like, like that will live alongside pretty much anything any Munster team has done before in terms of kind of one-off wins. And it was like incredible. And they played really well. And they, they took what, what impressed me was their decision making and the fact that they took their points and they built the score and they hung in there when they were like even even when Claremont were rampant and, and like I, I, I tweeted that it was a reality check for Munster. It looked like they were gonna get wiped. They kept chipping in with three points. <laughs> well, I, I, you gotta give the people some entertainment, you know. But uh, like but like they, they kept chipping away, like they kept getting three points, they kept, you know. Maybe we should have read. I should have read more into the fact that Claremont kept messing up every time Munster kicked off to them after a try. Like you know, maybe they weren't as switched on as they looked when they had ball in hand. But Yato was so dominant. But Munster, I thought, constructed it really well, played really well. Um, like JJ Hanrahan, very mature performance, even though he missed two touch finders, which could have been very important. And uh, kept his head. I was really admired the way they kept their head as well and never let it get to them. So. Like, there's a lot to like about the way they played, the way they constructed their tries, the mix of old and new, the fact that Josh Richley was still going at 77 minutes, having been destroyed in the scrum early on. Like, there's a load of different angles you can go down. But ultimately, like, they've got to back it up now. And they got to, you know, if it's got to be, it should be a catalyst. And the only way it's going to be a catalyst is to go and beat Leinster this week. And then they get three wins. And then they go and beat Claremont in, in Tolman Park. And they qualify for a quarter final. And then they go and win their quarterfinal because, like, they have it now. They look like they now they have a squad that's capable of doing something. I don't know if they're going to win the European Cup. I don't know if they have the type five for that yet. But like, they're definitely one of the better teams in there. And yeah, it was it was it was good because they've had a lot of kickings over the years. It's nice to be talking about them in a positive light. Yeah, and it just I, I feel vindicated after kind of throwing shade at Claremont over the last few weeks that they blew a twenty eight nine lead at home to, to Munster. I don't want to say that I feel vindicated, I but I feel justice. Vindicated. Um, no, but was, you know, there's been a lot of focus over the last couple of weeks uh, from the kind of some of the Ireland games about game management in terms of when to go to the corner, when to take the points. And Munster, interestingly, even though they were facing a mountainous deficit, they 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 persisted. You know, I think the Hanrahan kicked six penalties. They like that's. In a game where you're chasing tries, it's unusual to maybe go down that route. And it's just interesting considering that Ireland kind of opted against it in a lot of instances, that it kind of was their route back into the game. Well, I think we noticed that that's just wrong. I, I just think it's wrong. Even we've, we've seen Leinster now kind of going more to uh, to the posts, um, with certainly more frequently going to the posts, even against a team that they would have been expected to be quite well. Uh, there was a few, few more occasions at least where they went for the posts against Northampton. So... 
Uh, I, I think that's just that policy is just wrong of not taking your points. I think it's very hard to get over the line. Like, uh, you know, in, in professional rugby, I think teams are very organized defensively. And I think the percentage play, certainly with a high class kicker, is to. Uh, is to go for the points. And I think that that was proved correct on the weekend. I thought Munster were very, you know, as you say, they look like a team who've been winning. Um, you know, they, they haven't lost a game this season. Like, that does great great things for you. Um, you know, they've won away from home this year as well. Like, that's something that I think helps, you know, in the league, even if it's against, you know, lesser opposition. But those things tighten up a group, give you confidence, give you confidence that you can come back in a, in a situation where, um, you know, it looks very much like it was beyond the realms, um, you know, beyond their abilities to get back into the game. And Claremont certainly looked very, very strong. Um, I was particularly pleased for JJ Hanrahan. He's a guy who I, and I maybe expressed a little bit of concern about him on the big occasion. And I know we probably talked about those, well, Rudge t- t- uh, sorry, Rudd's touched on the, the couple of kicks to touch that were, uh, I was thinking that's a bit, that was pretty disheartening, but he came back really well. That kick at uh, 31-30 was class, you know, and he, he looked very confident over, very sure. Um, and then they obviously went back and pretty much, you know, the, the, I thought the pack obviously really led the charge on this one, not to, um, you know, uh, th- that, that driving wall for Munster has been very strong for, for quite a long period of time. And once they got in those positions, I thought they capitalised really, really well and they looked really strong. And they'll be a match for anyone. Uh, I mean, the scrum, I think, I'm not just not sure. I just don't know enough about the scrum to know if that will be an issue for them against other teams as well or if that's just Claremont being excellent there. Rhodes might know a bit more about that than me. Um, but to, to my mind, uh, I thought they looked really, really good. And there was even the, the Peter O'Mahony pass um, for that try in the first half, it was a nice little set play um, from Connor Murray behind to I think it was actually two Pete behind CJ. The little offload that uh, I mean it was a super, and, and that's kind of something that I've been saying about Munster for quite a lot, uh, quite a long time. And we've seen a bit from that Peter, from Peter Mahoney over the last couple of weeks. Just that little bit of handling, you know, that little bit of confidence. That to my mind is the bit that Munster have jumped. Um, they've needed to have. They've kind of been a battering ram kind of team uh, trying to break break other teams down. I think against the top class sides, it's really hard, really hard to really physically dominate them uh, and put points on the board. I think you need to have a combination of a passing game between your forwards as well. I was delighted to see that. So there was a few really, really positive parts um, for, for, for Munster. And, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with Rhodes. I think, you know, they'll, they'll have to capitalise on this now and build on this. Um, and they will, they should do, because they've, they've, they should get great confidence from this kind of a result like that down there. Um so hopefully we do see that. And yeah, look, a couple of young guys thrown in there as well uh, who, who played well alongside some seasoned vets. I mean, Delanda just looks like a great bit of business. Um, you know, you'd love to see them with Snyman and to see if he make any kind of impact. I know that, look, I know it's, you know, I presume the key parts are your front row, but having a big guy in the in, in the second row, you know, lending that kind of weight down in Claremont could have helped as well in, in the pack there. So, um, you know, we wait and see. I don't know if he is he going to get back at all. I'm not sure, but someone like him, it might be pushing it before, before the end of this season. But uh, I think they look well equipped going forward if they can get all the pieces of the puzzle on the pitch uh, to really mount a challenge against all the best sides in Europe. And they should be looking to get silverware. Like it's so long since Munster got it's it's ridiculous when you think of how successful the, the club is. And the great following they have. So yeah, look, fantastic. I was delighted for them, and they're much needed, I think, as well. Will yeah, and in terms of like kind of the recent results, as I mentioned a few a few minutes ago, like they're basically locked into that final place already in the pro in the pro fourteen, and and this result gives them a really good chance of getting into the, the knockout stages. They probably have to have a bit to do still with Claremont to come at home, but but you know they have a very good chance. It actually could be a home and away tie with Leinster in the quarterfinal. The way it's set up this year, with Leinster most likely to be the top seed and. 
Munster just look at the permutations it could be a fourth seed so you could have Munster hosting Leinster Tomlin Park on a first leg for the first time ever which would be absolutely blockbuster there's one player you mentioned earlier Rory who I suppose summed up maybe the turnaround on the day itself was Josh Witcherly who was in all sorts of bother early on going up against you know Rabbi Slamani a veteran French international prop like it doesn't get more daunting I suppose in a European contest and that I suppose missing the fans maybe, but his, his turnaround as well was a big contribution to, to the win ultimately. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he is their, I think, fourth choice loose head prop. And, but he is probably, you know, their, fu- their future loose head prop. He's 21. He's former Ireland under 20s. He's highly rated. Finian's younger brother. And um, because of an injury, he was pitched in there. And like, that's not where you want to send your, your, your four choice loose head prop for his European debut or his first European start. But, and especially when you see, like, he's up against Slimini, who's just one of the meanest fellas on the circuit. Like, he's just, you know, one of the you know, top-class scrummager. And I was on off the ball with Keith Wood on Monday. He reckoned, that, you know, he just went in too high at the start. That's what the problem was, that they just were too high. And I think that's the beauty of having someone like Wayne Rountree on the line, that, like, he can problem-solve that and he can fix it because he's got so much experience and has so experienced as, as a prop himself that he can kind of look at it and go, right, I see exactly what's going on with you and I can fix it. You know, once we get under the sticks, I can have a word or get messages on. And that was really impressive the way he adapted to it because, you know, that's a horrible feeling and it's it's something that um could definitely psychologically affect you as you go into the game. Like you like if you're if you're folding in two and riding on top of the scrum like that, you're in such a vulnerable position. So like that should be that's something that'll definitely get into your head. But then he's there he is, seventy seven minutes in, winning penalties, having turned it all around, and I'm sure the rest of the pack around them tightened up. I'm sure the flankers were were scrummaging hard on his side to keep him in and keep him in line. But yeah, it showed a lot of character for a kid. I'm like, and this week they've got Dave Cook back. Cronin didn't sound like it too a serious injury. Suddenly they've got options on the loose outside of the of, of the, the scrum as well. So the more these guys get exposure and, and thrive, like Gavin Coombs had a horrible start, but grew into the game, played really well. You know, Healy will be back in the next week or two. Casey just looks like a natural at that level. He's, he's really, really good. And there's a few more to come. You know, like, the, you know, Finney Mitchell came on. Well, Jack O'Donoghue did really well. I know he's not a young kid anymore, but, you know, he, he's adding to it as well. Suddenly they've got a bench. Um, Luke's right. Like, he gets slime into that pack and it's a different proposition because not only will he win, will he help with the scrum, he, he'll win some collisions and he'll get those hands free and he makes some big line breaks as well. He's got, he's the full package. Yeah, Luke, and I suppose when you're looking at Munster and now taking the next step again, it's that rivalry with Leinster that has really kind of, I suppose, that they've been the games that they've been defined of over the last couple of years. And just the statistics say, like, you know, Leinster have won 11 of the last 13 meetings, eight of the last nine. Since Jovan Grant took over halfway through that season when Erasmus left, he's only won one of, of eight meetings. And a lot of them have been big knockout games. So it's kind of funny in a way how after getting that big scalp, First match straight afterwards, Leinster and Tomlin Park, where by all accounts, Rory, you might correct me if I'm wrong here, it looks like Munster will probably have a stronger team out at the weekend. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know with this roof, but it, yeah, it looks like they'll probably get their international, most of the internationals this week, whereas we know that a host of, our, of Leinster's lads have been given this week off. Yeah, so like, look, it's, a, so it's another one that like Munster really ought to be winning this game. If Leinster is showing some of their big names, Munster on a high. To, to lose this this time to answer at home would be very damaging after getting that great scalp last weekend. Yeah, I don't know about that. I I, I agree with you in principle, but uh, and, and I know it's kind of contradictory to what I've previously said. Like, would I think it'd be a, a disaster? No, like I think Leinster at home is a very very difficult place to go. I know there's no crowd or anything like that, and of course Munster senior players will have a lot of familiarity. But um, yeah. 
I don't know, I just hate hanging it all on one game. <laughs> like, it's been such a good start to the season, even though I know yeah, I just yeah. said it previously. But, look, it's, it's certainly a really difficult challenge to go and back it up. We say it in sport. It's one of the hardest things to do in sport after the biggest biggest games. But do I think they need to go and do it? Um, it would just be a bit deflating. Yeah, I think they should go and do it. Like, if they have the edge, like, it's, it's, do you know what? I hate that we're talking about, like, two, like, Leinster, Munster, and the full teams. And I, I'm not sure I want to go down that, that avenue. But it's so disappointing to think that, we won't see a you know a whole host of, of our stars out on the pitch. Um, maybe the, the home team looking like they're, um, you know, or so. Well, not even that. Just, just you know, I, I just don't know why they're resting at this stage. I feel like there's going to be better opportunities to do it. I'm disappointed, Will, um, about that side of it. But look, for Munster, look, they should go. But I think a performance is key if they can keep it tight. I think, um, you know, I just think Leinster is a different proposition. I know they didn't play well against Northampton, but. They're just they're, they're very strong. Like there's there's a and then I think Stuart Lancaster like uh, he he just brings a different dimension to it. They're they're, they're playing with such comments. I know they were shaking the weekend, but they're hard to bloody beat. Well, I think they're I think they're a better team than Claremont. I know Claremont has some superstars out there, but I think as a unit, Leinster are way better. So it's a big ask. Do they do they need to build on last weekend? They absolutely do. But is this the one they're going to be hanging the hat on? Um, I feel harsh saying it. Uh, to be yeah. honest with you, well, I don't want to say maybe this. maybe let me reframe it, Rory. Like so, not so much that it will be a disaster and Munster to lose, just how how good it would be to get the win, considering that how last weekend went and arresting that. Like I think they've lost four in a row against Leinster. You know, another loss would tie the all-time kind of win- winning streak in the fixture for Leinster. So like, there, there's a bit at stake. Obviously, it's it's a Pro 14 game. Munster have a huge lead in their pool or their conference. So ultimately, is it the be-all end-all? No, but it's just in terms of momentum. Or am I overthinking you? Uh, no, I think well, depending, it's kind of the nature of the result as well. Like you, yeah. you know, if, if Munster have a man sent off and it goes, like, you know, I don't need to. It's more about the performance. I, mean, I think it's 2017 that Leinster went down there with a, with a, with a, what he told was a B team. And absolutely destroyed Munster. It was the day Jordan Armour scored that try and Dan Levy was utterly dominant. And Munster were, you could see that Peter Armani was having to compliment Leinster and he was sick about it. It really was kind of a, it set them back. A year later, they beat Leinster. It was obviously the last time they beat them from what you're saying. This result generally flips every year. So last year, Leinster won 13-7. I had a look at the results. Since 2014, they played at Christmas every year and it's flipped every year. So it's Munster's turn to win it. Um and yeah, it depends on what team that you put out and whether, like, if let's have a really, really weakened team and they go down there and they win well, and, and, and that, that's going to be worrying for Munster. Whereas, you know, two years ago they went down with Sexton start and got James Lowe sent off in that really bad temper, brilliant match. And um, Munster won it. And it was like, you know, it, it obviously meant something to them then. Um, last year, Leinster kind of held out with a kind of defensive performance and it was kind of soul destroying for Munster to, yeah. to not get over the line against match. the team. That, it wasn't great, you know. So, like, it's all about the context of the game, I guess. I, I think what meant what Munster have is momentum at the moment, and it would be a shame for them to to lose that momentum at the weekend. But I don't think it's going to completely. Like, it's it just the thing is, there's no there's no supporters' roads. Do you know yeah. that kind of way? Like, to my, to my mind, and like the Leinster guys will have a bit of familiarity with going down there. Like, I think it's it's a real leveler. Um, I, I just feel like it's tighter than even if they don't pick the the you know their their strongest team. I just think it's a real leveler in this one. I'd hate for like of course Munster should win it and they definitely want to build on last week. But like I just think I wouldn't be hanging the whole thing on it. Like I like they're still a good bit ahead in the group. Uh, they're still going to qualify from that. Uh, if they get through the kind of Champions Cup group, I think that's more kind of be that, that's going to be more defining for them than I think. Like the I think the league for them at this stage is is a done deal, you know. And do I want like I just think Leinster are pretty hard to beat, you know. Yeah, no, it's set up well. And I, I, that's right. I don't know if I'm saying a bit kind of uh, pessimistic or whatever. Like they definitely should be going for the win. They're disappointed if they don't get it. But I don't know. I'd hate to hang, you know, 
hate to hang a whole season on this one where really it doesn't really matter in the context of the league to them. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I suppose when we see, I think the teams are being released tomorrow at noon. I suppose though, when yeah. some people listen to this, they might have a better, a clearer picture of what the game might might look like. But yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I think it's I think it's is an important game for them. I just maybe going back to Leinster the RDS. I know you were there at the weekend, um, Luke. I suppose they got the job done. They they got their their bonus. Point win but I I think I saw you on TV a bit sloppy maybe in, in certain aspects of it like how do you assess the performance overall it was kind of how I assess it and I, I think I probably reined it back in a little bit afterwards on like upon a little bit of reflection and I think the reason I did that was because you know no matter how good I think Leinster are I think if, if you lose that many people early in the game um, it definitely does impact things and I think they did look a little bit disjointed there was you know however there were lots of things that they they look at it and go Jesus, like that was really poor. Like even the first try, like I think there was I, there was a two on one. I just thought that should have gone. I thought they should have finished the try differently. I thought they they passed up on two other two on one opportunities. I think it was Josh Van der Fleer was one, and it was Ross Byrne was the, was the other where they could have put people under the post. And I think they really could have run away with the game if they you know put them away there. And um, so there's a few bits that were just a little bit sloppy. And I thought they under resourced the rook. Uh, you know, quite a bit. Something that they can't do this week. Um, could be good timing for them, though, in terms of a bit of a shock and to reinforce some of the things that are still key, regardless of who you're playing. Um, and, and maybe a timely reminder, uh, you know. But other than that, um, some good showings. I thought Baird was excellent. Uh, he's such a good athlete. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm a bit like raining on his parade. I'm really not. I just think he looks so good. But I think maybe long term for him, I wonder is six the place that that makes his in, like gives him an international future as you know, you know, for a very long period of time. I mean, I just think his footwork and his pace. Why not um, second row? It could be a real. Why not sorry? second row? I don't know. I just feel like. Do I feel like he's probably? Is he? Is he? On the edge of undersides for second row, or am I completely wrong on that? I, I, I'm talking about as an international player. I could be being very harsh there. Um, I, I don't know. I, like someone else might have a different opinion on that. I just feel like maybe as an athlete, even it frees him up a little bit more if he's in the if he's playing uh, at six. Uh, I mean, he looks like a real bruiser there, uh, and he's up for the fight. He's a good tackler. He gets around the pitch well. Um, um, I, I think he'd have to change his game a little bit more. There's a, a good bit more grunt in the second row uh, at international. Well, sorry, not even international, but even at the top level of of uh, uh, of, of provincial stuff and and like Champions Cup stuff. I think it's it's it takes a lot more out of you. You're kind of you, don't, you can't have those big impacts. And I think he has the potential to do that. Like he looks like a real powerful athlete to me. Um, could be wrong on that. Will I just it's just maybe an observation on it. I, I, I suppose I always think about people. In international terms, if I feel like they're, if they've got the ability, and I think he does, so that's maybe just a, a, a thought on him uh, going forward. Um, other than that, you know, some, some very you know, some good performances um, from from a Leinster perspective. Uh, they'd be, you know, I think a little bit sloppy in some of the, the defensive work as well. They'd be disappointed that they they conceded. So you know, I think they conceded some soft ones in there. You know, that they say, well, that's that's not right enough. We want to be. You know, winning Champions Cup if we were really beating the likes of you know Munster this weekend, we can't defend like that either. So, uh, some kind of key things and key areas of the game that they need to tighten up. Um, but they got the job done, I suppose. Yeah, Rose, did you want to come in there? I think I could see you kind of. Yeah. Uh, just on Bird, I like I I think he probably you know he's very young, so he's got time to put on the side yeah. as well. But I think I wonder about him and Ryan together in the second row at international level. I I, I think. He's a guy that you could possibly bring on for Ryan after 60 minutes for like for an impact. But I don't know if you can start the two of them together. I think you might have to have a scrummaging lock alongside him. But I don't know his power stats and I don't know what his output is like. You know, 
but he definitely does look slightly lightweight for that level at this stage. But he could definitely be that number five, that rampaging, rummaging, or kind of rampaging lock that you you know you have. And if you look at White Lock and Retallic, like neither of them are, are like that enormous South African style um, lock, but they have the kind of power. Like you know they're big men, but they're not that kind of real like one twenty kilo kind of. Or they don't look it anyway. Um, kind of Quinn Roots style, oh, yeah, style yeah, guy, yeah. sorry. You, you can, but I, I do like the idea of, of, a, of, a, of a rangy dynamic six and the kind of Courtney Laws, Maro Toje style as well. I don't think you should rule it out, especially when you're playing a single, it could be very handy to have a guy like that. So I think, you know, get him get him a bit of experience there and, and, and suddenly you've got an option. And there's not, I think, unlike some of the backline positions, a bit of versatility in the past. Yeah, it's very frustrating that he picked up that injury just before the autumn window because he definitely would have featured certainly in the Georgia game, which ultimately was a bit of a slog. So he actually might have been very beneficial to have there. And even in some of the other games, it would have been interesting. And, uh, you know, if he features against Munster this weekend, it, it'll be another test, uh, uh, an interesting step up. I said one of the key incidents of the game, Luke, and I know you were so talking about it on TV afterwards, was a Tom Wood, Josh van der Fleer. Uh, clear out, which I think would just before we came on air, I saw where you were tweeting he's got a three week ban for uh, for the yeah. tackle. So they ruled that it should have been a red card. I know the referee and his TMO deliberated at length, and they and they they settled on on, on not giving him a card. Like what? what I don't know. I saw your thoughts at the time. Like, have you changed your mind on it at all? Like, what what's your view on Luke ultimately? It's um. Yeah, like I, I still you can't just. I think the, the way he, I, I saw something on Twitter like. And I, I suppose, did it change my mind? Maybe not. I still think he, like, he did hit him in the head. Like, he, he did do that, right? But I still don't think you can, you know, if you're over the, if you're poaching in that position, like, you can't, like, be talking to the referee at the same time. Like, I, I just think I, maybe he lost my sympathy at that point. Like, it's, it, I just, maybe I just hate all that crap as well about, like, calling out to the referee all the time for, you know, trying to, you know, get, <laughs> get penalties and stuff like that. But if you're in a poach position, like you're ex- unbelievably exposed. Like I just don't. Uh, he lost my sympathy because I felt like he blocked out the path in. Like and so people were saying, "Oh, he should be going for his arms." Was the kind of was the tailing part of the Twitter of the of that comment I looked at on Twitter. Um, I suppose my fir- the first part of it was talking about the collision to the head, which did happen, right? So so what happened if he's here? Then does he still hit him? Uh, even if he's not talking to the referee, is that okay? Like that's that to my mind isn't okay as well. Um. So I think it's a, it's, it was a difficult enough one for me. I think I, I didn't have much sympathy for him because I think as soon as I saw him talking to the referee in a poach position, I was like, like you know, you're fair game. Like you're closing up the space for him to hit you. You're leaving yourself in an exposed position. You're an international rugby player. You should know that. You never turn your back in a rook uh, on the opposition. You know, you never leave yourself in a position like that to to, to get hit. It's just it's look. To my mind, it was like a lesson learned. Um, do I think the the look? He did hit him in the head. Given all the kind of I suppose media furore about the the kind of head injuries at the moment, uh, that's probably a really unhelpful backdrop to all this. Um, and I suppose I'm maybe I'm still on the fence on it. Is probably the, the to give you a direct answer. I'm not 100% convinced that he's 100% the wrong. Um, I am. I do recognise that we are trying to protect people in that position, but you still have to put yourself in the right position, and there's a responsibility to do that. Not talk to the referee in an exposed position. Uh, I just think that was really kind of naive stuff. So um, I feel a bit of sympathy for him, but I think maybe he got the ban because we're in a in a situation where we, you know, we need to be seen to be protecting people who get hits to the head, which is fair, completely fair. Yeah. How do you weigh in on a road? Like, it's interesting to hear because it was the, some of the ex players. He was like, "Oh, Driscoll, Brian Driscoll was on BT. I was watching it on BT, and he was kind of 
on the fence about it too, in terms of whether or not it deserved yeah. a card. Yeah, and I, like I, I think the the views of former professionals who've been in that situation need to be taken seriously. Like Lucas is saying, the game's gone soft there, which I think is the easy way of criticizing pundits when they think when they say something like that. I don't think that's what what you're saying, Luke. There, like I think no, that's no, fair. You're right. You're right. That's yeah. from like I only Tom Wood. Like I, I think Tom Wood went out there trying to clear out the look for his team. I think. He got it wrong in terms of, you know, but you're right. There is a, there is a bit of a, you know, at the moment, the burden is on the cleaner and uh, Josh van der Fleer probably won't do that again because, because, you know, maybe he should just put his head down and stole the ball. I think he was, rather than calling for a penalty, I think he was checking with the ref, am I okay here? Which is probably because the inference, like, he's pretty white, whiter than white kind of character, Josh, I think. So that's, yeah, yeah. like, it was a bit, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a circumstance we're really going to see on a week to week basis. And I don't think what, it's, it's the kind of, incident where i get particularly outraged at Tom Wood. I think his coach is going to pull him aside and say, look, you can't, like, you've got to be squeaky clean in this area because like, cause they're hot on this. And, and the, there's an onus on the current players now um, because of everything we've heard just to be squeaky clean because the game is, is in a bit of a perception battle and refs have to be hot on it. So he's got a 3 fan. I think he, he you know, I, I think there's basically going to be zero tolerance on the head. The players are just not accept it. If you, if you get it wrong in that scenario, you're getting a red. And it's not, 100% fair on them because they're not going out to do someone. I think Tom Wood was trying to do the right thing in terms of clearing things like out. He had a good rap after with Rudd as well. Did you see yeah. the rap afterwards? Like it was, I really don't think there was, of course, his intent to to hit him hard, but I, I think that's a good point. Like I think if you look at that to me, it was kind of, I was like, ah, oh, like I didn't see him, you know, dip the shoulder in. Like, sorry, people can't see me when I'm doing it. <laughs> but he didn't just dip the shoulder and they were like, took the, took the arm. Like he did go finish him in attacker mode. Um, and wrap the arms, and that maybe contribute as well. So I just wanted to add that yeah, a little bit. Yeah. In as but well. I, like, I, I, I think there has to be that these all things have to be worked out. And I think that like the social media is so toxic. Like you know, it, it, everyone thinks they're right, and it's, it gets more and more abusive as it goes, and and uh, it's not healthy. But I think that where rugby, the cl- clubs, the referees need to have dialogue like this, and kind of Tom Wood needs to be given a format that he goes, well, this is what I thought I was doing, and. I think the punishment has to be severe at the moment, and I think probably for, for for what we know about brain injury in rugby, I think ultimately we got to protect Josh van der Veer, even if he's made a mistake as well. Um, and but I think players that are like some people, maybe it's going to be a case where coaches are going to have to forgive Tom Woods for not trying to clear that ball out because he's like, well, if I had done that, I got a red card, and that's I don't think we're, I don't think, I don't think the coach video analysis on a Monday is there yet. I think the coach is going to go to Tom Wood. What the F are you doing there? Why did Josh van der Feer get a take, turnover? Why did you stand up and go, I can't hit that rook? And that's going to change the game. And it's going to change the way the game is coached and the game, way the game is played. Because players are going to go, well, I was off balance. And if I'd smash into that rook, I might have hit his head and it's a red card. I'm like, we're not there. We're way away from where that is. And fans are going to have to get on side with that as well if that's going to be the way we're going to do it. Because... Um, like lads, like if Tom Wood stands there and backs off that rook and Josh Van der gets a clean turnover and, and then just score a try off the turnover, Tom Wood's getting slaughtered for something else. And uh, like that's that's a culture change that I don't think I think we're we've kind of gone the first way of the way there, but we're way off. And, and like that's the evolution rugby's going through at the moment, and it's it's in a tricky place. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And one other thing I suppose on it, and I, I saw Leo Cullen mention it in his post-match coach when asked about the incident, was that ultimately it was adjudicated on at the time, like at length, you know, the, the TMO and the ref, just as soon as it was a missed call, you know, or if you know, one picked it up, whether you agree with the decision or not, the ref and the TMO had a good long look at it. It was probably five, five six, seven minutes of them, you know, discussing. I know the referee is probably, the, the, you know, the, 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 I suppose giving him the ban says, that the authorities don't agree with him, but he did at least take a look at it and discuss it with his TMO. 
uh, if nothing else. Um, I suppose the weekend as well, losses for Ulster and Connacht, Luke, disappointing ones for both of them, especially Ulster who had a 10-point lead with 10 to go. I know Connacht, you know, there was a maybe missed opportunity to get a losing bonus point. Ultimately, point, yeah. I, I don't know if it's a, it's hugely relevant, but it did happen. Like so, certainly didn't. It certainly didn't warrant the online abuse. Anyway, that's yeah, for sure. no, exactly, uh, definitely, definitely not. Uh, I suppose you know what? What are you, any thoughts on those two games? I'm just disappointing, Will. Like you know, I think um, you know it was always going to be an uphill battle. We, we may as well cover. But like obviously, both of them lost their their first matches, you know, and that makes it a real uphill battle in this format for them. So. Um, you know, effectively, it means that you know. Well, to my mind, I think it means Ulster are you know they really need to uh, they really need to win that league uh, now. There's big pressure on them, and they're still top of the table, and they have a match against Leinster there, so it's all in their hands in that respect. From from this one, you know, in terms of Champions Cup, I, I think that was a disappointing one. Um, you know, thirty eight points, wasn't it? Um, like that's a lot of like that's you know. That's that's a that's a leaky defense, you know. I don't think you can win anything conceding thirty eight points, um, and they'd be disappointed with that. And I think they've, they've a few that certainly have work ons there. Like that's the thing that jumps out to me. Yeah. Like when you can score that many points, was it 30, 30, 34, 34, I think it was uh, that they got. Like you can score that many points, you're not winning the game. To my mind, that tells you, you know, that there's a problem elsewhere. So uh, that's that's something that they can fix quickly. I think they have the personnel to do it. Um, and um, yeah, look, it was disappointing for them. I think they probably went there with a lot of confidence. I know they lost the week before, um, but that was a tight one. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's probably a stretch too far now to get through this, even with the bonus. Yeah, point. right. Since they've been in the quarterfinals the last two years, so that was probably the minimum expectation going into this campaign. And you know, on paper, a tricky opening, but not an impossible one. Like Toulouse in Kingspan, obviously was going to be an uphill battle. But then you know, a Gloucester team who, when you look through their team sheet. Like wouldn't be you know a fearsome fearsome operators, and I know they've got hockey the weekend before with a young team, so they brought back some of their bigger guns. But it's still not a fearsome top tier English side, and to have that kind of lead and to squander it, it just kind of of all the teams maybe a bit of a mirage of in their in their league results. Like they haven't been getting overly tested by some of these oppositions, and and then in the step up in Europe, they were found wanting a bit. Yeah, I'm not even sure Gloucester is that much of a step up, to be honest. They're not a particularly good team, and it's not a team you should be losing to home or away in Europe if you're serious contenders. And like, I only, I never thought Ulster were going to win this year, but I thought the, you know, like they've been, as you say, quarterfinals last two years. So this is is a a step back for them. I think losing Henderson, on, you know, in that last game to whatever, like we have never really been told what the seriousness of the injury is, but it sounds like a pretty serious knee injury. That's a big, you know, like he's there. He's their talisman in that pack, and and I think you lose an awful lot of your go forward out of your ball carrying as well. But still, like Luke's right, like the 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 defensive issues that they had at King's Home, that's not a place you want to be losing games if you if you want to be taken seriously as a rugby team at the moment. And, and whatever bits you lose, like you know, Chesney Colby's going to make fools out of a lot of people over the course of this season, and Ulster won't be alone losing to them this year. But yeah, that's that's not a good result for them. It sets them back a fair bit. I, I guess at least they've got two more tournaments to, to try and win this year now that we've got the Rainbow Cup as well. So, um, well, I suppose, you know, but like, I feel like Munster, like Munster last year didn't make it. Like that pool, that, that second uh, pool is, is, is really tough, you know, like all the, the six, of the six or seven favourites, Leinster are the only ones who aren't in that. I know Exeter are probably getting knocked out now by the fact that they got a COVID outbreak, but, you know, like that, that, that it's going to be tough for even Munster to get out, even though they've won two games to get out of that pool, but, you know, Gloucester at home, also were top seeds, Gloucester were, were four seeds. You've got to be expecting to win that and, and not doing it is, is very, very disappointing. Yeah, and just it's funny you mentioned kind of the quirk of the tournament, the way it's kind of stacked in one in one 
uh, one side because I suppose from a Leinster perspective, like they have maybe a more favourable pool draw, but then they're looking into a and especially because I think the away quarter final is first. So Leinster's reward if they were to win their final two games, which you you would presume they would, or they'll be close to a top seeding perhaps. But then their reward is an away trip to you know maybe Rasting. Tomlin Park, you know, one of these very difficult grounds. It's not much of a reward. I suppose the last year, same with Saracens, like, you know, getting Saracens like this year as well. It's funny how... <laughs> yeah, I know. People were, were shouting about Leinster last year. And I, I, remember, I remember we talked about it. I, I said I couldn't believe that they got Saracens. I was absolutely... Like, look, at some point, they were probably going to have to face them anyway. But I was gutted they got them. I just think they're, they're, it was, they're a real kind of kryptonite for that Leinster team. Um but like, look, they could be in the same situation again. I think, you know, there's once you get into those kind of stages anyway, Will, I just don't think there's any easy games, really. Um, there's definitely certainly ones you're saying, OK, look, that's preferable. But um, no, look, uh, and it's going to be a bit jumbly. I mean, like, I wonder will there be any more cancelled fixtures as well? Like, I don't want to, like, I don't think we should count our chickens on that front either. I just don't think that's going to be, there's, there's, by no means is that a done deal. Like, I think, uh, you know, it looks like there's going to be big lockdowns across the board. Um, you know, in January all the way through, it maybe even to Feb. So, um, you know, I'd be cautious enough about thinking that you know that the pools will pan out exactly as they they are kind of looking like they will at this point. Um, so yeah, look, it's it's going to be a big task. I might expect them to finish if they can complete the pools in in, in a normal fashion, and we may as well operate on that assumption. Then I think uh, look, it does look like it's going to be a nasty enough uh, quarter final. But I think they're well equipped to to play against all those teams and should feel confident going in against them as well if they have the full complement. You know, so um, I think you'd be more thinking, Jesus, I've got Leinster uh, would be probably the the view from the other camp rather than Leinster thinking that about someone else. I think. Yeah, well, it's one thing I'm really looking forward to in 2021. I'll things being equal is the, the home away dynamic the aggregate score dynamic which is so fun like I mean, yeah. that that championship is the i mean how good is this i mean i don't know if you've ever watched any of those games yeah. uh in the championship for the qualifiers like they're kind of 40 50 point kind of like they're they're kind of thrillers like you well, know yeah bristol, bristol used to get you know get get like upset in that every year for like three or four seasons before they <laughs> but it's one of those ones where you kind of when you have a target in mind in terms of points that you need to achieve it's very much like um you know, Ireland in Six Nations a couple of years back, like, we, you know, there was a target there. Once you got, like, you, you had that in your mind and, you know, I think it, it was kind of, it made all the decisions that little bit easier. You had no, like, there was a point where you had no choice but to get points on the board. There's a few different things like yeah. that, you know, and I think it'll be exciting well, from that perspective. Yeah, like, I, so we're getting ahead of ourselves because it's not until March, but it'll be funny dynamic <laughs> because, like, you know, in, in the Champions League, for instance, teams prefer to, to play away first to maybe nick an away goal, but you don't really have that in rugby. You'd almost be proud to be at home first, get your home win under your belt, and then batting them the hatches away versus going away to a very difficult opposition potentially and losing and then having the pressure on home. So that'll be interesting to see, I suppose. But, Rory, just before we finish up, you know, the 2020 is at an end. It was very uncertain whether we get any rugby at various stages. Um, like overall, I know for, for me watching it, like I think they've done a great job in, in getting the games back, getting them played. I know from an Irish perspective, there's, there's been very few hiccups in terms of big, you know, there hasn't really been any COVID outbreaks amongst the four professional teams. There's been the, the odd case here and there. Like, how have you found it, it, you know, coming back from the outside looking in, I think it's been, it's been really, really good. I like, I think the, the, it's an achievement to be even ha- to have games on that we're you know that we're able to talk about every week and have the industry back up and running. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough. I'm one of the very few people. I mean, I know Luke was in the audience the weekend. I've been lucky enough to actually be at games. They're not the same and they're not real and they're they're kind of weird, but they're better than nothing, you know. And and I think 
for an industry it had to get back up and running and it did um, and it is an achievement to do it and, and the players deserve great credit for not putting themselves at risk and, and like obviously people are going to get it here and there but they're obviously not putting themselves in, in, in tricky scenarios or they're not going out when, they, when their mates are going out and they, they, they've managed to kind of avoid picking up the virus and bringing it to camps and that's taken some discipline and I'd say it's been a pretty you know, I'm sure they're happy to be playing but I'd say it's it's, it's been a, a bit of a miserable year. I know like Ireland camp can't have been that much fun during a the November window when you weren't really able to see your family for long periods. I remember talking to John Ryan and he was saying that he was, you know, doing bedtime with his two kids over over Zoom every night. And, like that's a long time to be away from your family. So that, I think they deserve French credit. Like, you know, I'd be a critic of the RFU you know at, at times, but I think they've they've run this particularly well. And um, like not that I think clubs in England that are, are getting it, like, you know, I think people are just gonna get this virus here here and there and it's gonna happen and, and you can't assign blame. Maybe Exeter aside because they're there's a bit of a COVID truther thing going on in their in their squad. Um, maybe they, they, you know, them lose them getting nil or losing twenty eight nil the weekend is probably a little bit of justice. But no, I, like I just really hope, like like you know, years. I think everyone's you know a, a bit of a cliche here. Like you know, we all hope there's a vaccine and we get fans back in stadiums as soon as possible for the health of the game and just for the enjoyment of it and the way it looks because. Like Munster coming from 19 points down in Claremont was great, but imagine what it would have been like in front of a full Stade Marshall Michelin, the colour and everything that goes with it. It's better than nothing, but you know we we want to have a proper line for this summer. We want to have these these South African games with full full Newlands and a full uh, Kings Park. That well, wouldn't happen anyway, I'd say. But, yeah. Well, like it's not like we're we're still away away from that, but you know hopefully uh, it's going to happen soon. But yeah, like. I think the people running rugby deserve huge credit for the way they pulled this all together. Um, and like rugby faces a fairly uncertain future on various different fronts that we've talked about in different ways. And, you know, the contract negotiations are on hold and the concussion thing is ongoing and it's, it's a tough time for the, for the game, but um, it's good to have it back at the same time. And the last two weeks in particular, like I didn't think the all nations was that bad. I think if you were watching England, it was particularly boring, but you know, I think the international stuff was okay, but the, 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 Champions Cup has been great and it's been really entertaining and it's been quite uh, quite nice to have it. So yeah, like um yeah, I like I I I just hope we're not in empty stadiums for all of twenty twenty one. I hope at some stage we'll be able to get people back in there because I'm sure they're sick listening to us and watching people rattle on TV. They want to be having a beer and watching it themselves in front of their own their own eyes once again. Yeah, one of the many I thought wishes for twenty twenty one. Luke, we'll give you the last word. Then I thought that on twenty twenty, yeah, it's it's been good to have it back. Like, uh, how have you found it ultimately? Yeah, it's been tough, hasn't it? I mean, I think sport plays such a big part in all of our lives. And I think that was really evidenced, uh, particularly at the start of the year when, when there was nothing to look forward to. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my weekends were, were pretty, pretty dull. Uh, you could argue they might be anyway, but uh, without sport, particularly dull. Um, so it was great to have it back. And I thought everyone, like across the board, we talked about our own game, but lots of different sports were in, in very difficult situations as well. And I think everyone's just a Adapting. And I thought our sport did a particularly good job of that, particularly seeing as it's a contact sport as well, uh, to have had as much rugby and to have had as few incidents. I know last weekend was disappointing in Champions Cup in terms of a few cancelled fixtures. Um, but I think overall, I think they've done a really, really good job and they can really commend themselves. Uh, I thought there was like the Automation Cup was, was thinking on the feet um, and there was look, lots of stuff. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I know it wasn't ideal. I'd love to see in, you know a couple of Southern Hemisphere teams up here, but um, I thought, given what, what what we had, I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, we saw some good stuff and some disappointing stuff, but it was good. 
Um, I think that you know the Champions Cup format, a bit of a change there, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Obviously, the pressurised kind of pool fixture at the start now, given there's cancelled fixtures, makes it kind of a bit. You know, there'd be a few disappointing names that might not make it. Like Exeter probably would have been nailed on, or definitely one of the favourites in the competition. We might not see them because of that. Um, but I think overall, really, really positive. Um, I think they'll need to get something like I think our game particularly will 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 need to have. Um, people back in stadiums. It's very much like football. I think could probably rely on the soccer. Uh, sorry, the sorry soccer football can rely on the TV money. Excuse me, uh, more so than the gates. Um, and you know, rugby really needs the gates. So we need to get people back in the stadiums as soon as possible. So hopefully, the vaccine rollout is successful and quick, uh, without any hiccups. Which I think is probably, if I'm being realistic, unlikely. But I think still, we we live in hope on that on that front. Um, but I think they can look back on 2020. It's been a very, very successful year. And in a year when survival was probably the name of the game, I thought they, they really did that well. Yeah, and looking ahead to 2021, as you both said, hopefully we we kind of get more and more back to a, to a normal state of being. And who knows, by next summer, maybe maybe we will have a, you know, a full crowd at a Lions store. But for the moment, guys, thanks so much for joining me this week and, and for all of 2020. Have a great Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. Cheers, guys. Happy Christmas. All right, see you. Cheers, lads. Happy Christmas. And to all the listeners, cheers. That's all we have time for on our last Left Wing episode of the year. Thank you so much for listening throughout 2020. It was a very strange 12 months. We'll be back in the new year with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until 2021, thanks for listening and goodbye.